You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got uh, my good friend, guest host today, Carmi Levy out of uh, Toronto. We've got a great program. On today's show, we'll be talking about uh, Amazon Echo devices with the Alexa voice assistant and how they're getting into the hotel industry. We'll be talking with Celine Lee, the Alexa country manager for Amazon. We'll also be chatting about ice storms uh, that's been plaguing the uh, the east part of Canada and how to keep connected during troubling times. And finally, would you pay for your bread, the bakery with your palm? Well, we'll tell you about the latest in technology from Amazon and how some retailers are going down the biometric way to pay instead of cards. Carmi, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. I think one of the big uh, science techie stories this week, it's been kind of all over the news, is that uh, NASA has named the four astronauts for the Artemis II moon mission and excited that one of the Canadians, or sorry, one of the astronauts is Canadian, Jeremy Hansen. He is going to be, he's going to be like Canada's Neil Armstrong. Like, I mean, this guy is, he's a rock star. He's, He's our hometown boy. He's born and bred in London, grew up in a, in a, on a farm just north of town near a little place called Elsa Craig. So uh, literally all of Southern Ontario is just cheering for this guy. He is as good as they get. Colonel in the Royal Canadian Air Force, fly, you know, flew the CF-18. Uh, I remember him coming into town and just, he would fly in, in his Hornet to speak to the air cadets and inspire them because he was a graduate of the air cadet program. I mean, this is the guy who knows where he comes from. He's brilliant. Um, he's a Capcom at NASA. So he's one of the folks who's responsible for actually speaking uh, with the astronauts on the space station um, and and managing communications between Earth and space. Uh, this guy is, he's the real deal. And the fact that he's been selected to be part of this four person crew really is a validation of what Canada brings to the table in space. You know, we're, we're a small country, but we've, you know, in terms of population, but we fight outside our weight class. We're world leaders in, uh, in technology, robotics, artificial intelligence, the Canada Arm on the shuttle, the Canada Arm Two on the International Space Station, Canada Arm Three, which we're designing for the Lunar Gateway Space Station. All of these technologies are world leading, and the U.S. as a reward for what we've invested in these technologies, we get a seat on Artemis Two when it uh, orbits the moon, which is just. I think it's safe to say most Canadians are kind of over the moon about this. This is really big for us. So that's uh, an important thing for the listeners to know. This particular Artemis mission is not going to land on the moon, but it's going to, from what I understand, orbit the moon uh, a few times. Exactly. If you remember back a few months ago in November, Artemis 1 was the first flight of the the big mega rocket, the Space Launch System or SLS rocket. That was to test out the hardware, send it in orbit around the moon, test it out, make sure that everything works, that it can support human life, that it can protect the astronauts. And they've been analyzing the data since it returned, and everything looks amazing. It it performed way better than expectations. So what Artemis 2 is going to do is essentially... Uh, run exactly the same or a very similar flight profile to that, uh, launch from Earth, get into Earth orbit, uh, do what's called a translunar injection to fire the rocket toward the moon, and then orbit the moon, and then come back and land, uh, splash down in the ocean. Uh, But of course, with four astronauts on board. It'll continue to test these systems out. Of course, we're doing science while on board, uh, scoping out landing locations on the moon as well, and then preparing for Artemis 3, which will be the mission that ultimately lands uh, humans back on the moon. But the interesting thing about this mission is 
this is the first time that a non-American has ever gone beyond low Earth orbit. Canada, of course, has had uh, a number of astronauts, Chris Hatfield, uh, Mark Garneau. I mean, you know, you know, they, they, we are Roberta Bondar. I mean, we we've you know we've been in space lord knows how many times but this is the first time that anyone who is not an american has gone beyond earth orbit which is pretty darn cool we get to say it was a canadian who did that it's interesting just you know when it comes to technology and the computational power that they you know put in uh the rockets and the and, and the capsules you know i read uh at some point uh, you know over the years that you know, the original Apollo missions, uh, the computers that they were using in their camcorders uh, back in the day had more computational power <laughs> than the computers that they had in the um, the original moon missions. So uh, it's kind of been a shame that it's been like, isn't it almost 50 years since we've kind of gone to the moon? Yeah, 1972, Apollo 17, Eugene Cernan and Harrison Schmidt uh, uh, left the moon's surface the last time humans actually touched the moon. Um, and they said then that they would be back, uh, and we haven't. It just wasn't a priority. The U.S. was dealing with Vietnam, 70s, pretty tumultuous period, Arab oil crisis. Uh, and, of course, the, the money just wasn't there. The political support to fund NASA to continue to fly to the moon wasn't there. They actually had three more missions on the books, uh, Apollo 18, 19, and 20, and they were all canceled. Um, so, you know, what I, what I like about the Artemis program is that it isn't just about putting boots on the moon. It isn't just about going to the moon, planting a flag, saying we were there and coming home. It's about building a foundation for a sustained presence on the moon, similar to what we've done with the International Space Station, where, uh, you know, we have been living and working in space continuously for 23 years now, uh, which is remarkable. Um, you know, we didn't just explore. We're actually exploiting the, the the landscape, the environment. And the moon is the same thing. If we want to go to Mars, if we want to go beyond uh, our immediate neighborhood, uh, we're going to have to figure out how to get to the moon and stay on the moon um, and leverage it for the resources that it has. We know there's water there. We know we can use the materials there to build things and then serve as a launch pad, launch pad for more ambitious missions. This is the start of it, and uh, I could not be more excited. I'm counting the days until Mr. Hansen flies. We've got a lot more to talk about on today's Get Connected. Uh, in a bit here, we'll be uh, chatting about using your palm to pay for groceries. And uh, the ice storms happening back east. How do people stay connected? Carmi's going to give us uh, the lowdown on that and a little bit of a, a little bit of advice. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Alexa in your hotel room. What can it do for you? You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with the program. Mike here in studio broadcasting across Canada on the Chorus Radio Network. We've uh, got uh, an interesting guest with us uh, now. Uh, she is with Amazon. Her name is Celine Lee. And we're going to talk about uh, a new program they have going called Alexa Smart Properties for Hospitality. I think many of us are familiar with the uh, Amazon Echo devices. Uh, they have uh, all sorts of different uh, incarnations of it. Uh, ones uh, that uh, can listen for the Alexa wake word and do everything for you, from controlling your smart home to listening to your favorite uh, music. And now these... Uh, Amazon uh, devices are looking to be integrated into your hotel room as well to make the experience even uh, nicer. Thanks for joining us, Celine. Thank you for having me. So this was interesting. I, I got a chance to actually try this out. Uh, it was at uh, the Fairmont uh, Le Manoir Richelieu in Quebec, uh, Charlevoix, uh, Quebec. 
beautiful hotel. I didn't even know anything about it until I was uh, invited there. But what was interesting is that you've actually integrated these Amazon uh, Echo Show devices. These are the ones that actually have the, the screen built into in all the hotel rooms. So my first question is why? I think we, we heard from uh, customers uh, that, you know, they enjoy having uh, Alexa in their home. They've gotten used to it, and now it's kind of an extension of that. We went through uh, different places you can have Alexa on the go, uh, whether it's like with your um, Echo Auto in the car, but, you know, traveling is another uh, situation where people just have mentioned that it, it would be um, helpful for them in that situation. And we also have heard from uh, different properties, such as hotels, um, that they envision how Alexa can help their guests and make their stay more enjoyable. So I think this is a little bit of the culmination of both, uh, making guests stay more enjoyable, where you can get access to all the things that you're used to having uh, in your home, asking for music, that's making, um, creating timers, et cetera. Uh, but also for the hotel where they're able to provide information and in such ways um, be more efficient with their operations um, and, and make their stays guests more their guests stay more enjoyable. Yeah, there's actually two sides to that. And, you know, I want to dive down into that a bit. Obviously, it's for the guests, but uh, the hotel also has some benefits. But for the guests, what kind of things in this, uh, this first level can they uh, get out of their Amazon Echo that's in their hotel room? Yeah, I think there, there are definitely multiple layers. Uh, the first one is all those things that, um, you know, a voice assistant uh, makes easier for you. Um, when I was traveling, I was asking for some music and it played. Uh, you can definitely set alarms, but you can ask for information about the hotel as well. So understanding, you know, what the hours of uh, the restaurant may be, or if there are any specials uh, at the bar, how to get to the pool, that sort of things. Um, you know, you get to that information much quicker and uh, it's all kind of available at a glance. Um, so it, it's really, uh, really beneficial from from both, you know, making your, your uh, everyday use uh, that you would have at home, but also use cases that are more relevant to traveling. I, I got to be honest, uh, the first thing I did was get it to play some some music. And um, I I love having music when I'm on the go and when I'm, I'm traveling as well. It hasn't always been an easy experience when I go to hotel rooms. You know what I mean? Like they usually have some sort of clock radio speaker thing that you've got to kind of Bluetooth your phone to. And to be honest, I just don't even do it anymore because I, <laughs> I just don't have the, the, the energy. Whereas this uh, just right away can play music. I guess it's tied in with Amazon music. Is that right? It's actually up to each of the properties to determine kind of what service they want to make available to their customers. Um, the idea is that, you know, uh, if you go and ask for, you know, a genre like, hey, play jazz music, it would it would pull up some relevant um, uh, relevant uh, music for you. But uh, the hotels get to to set that up. So some of the other interesting demos, uh, I, I thought this was cool. You could actually ask it to make a reservation uh, at the, the hotel restaurant and it would kind of dial you right down there. Uh, you could even get bath towels, which, <laughs> which I thought was, uh, thought was uh, interesting. So uh, obviously a lot of different commands is to make the, uh, the stay there a little more enjoyable. Um, just quickly on privacy though, Celine, uh, some people are always, well, I think most people are always concerned about privacy, but with these Amazon Echo shows, you know, if you've got one in your home, uh, you know that typically they have a camera built in and of course the microphone uh, as well to listen. 
Yeah, we, we know privacy is important to our customers, um, and that is true whether they're at home or traveling, and that was um, a factor that was built into that uh, experience, experience for hotels from the get-go. So. Uh, the one thing that is um, similar at home, which is that, you know, these devices have uh, the mute button, which is uh, electronically going to disconnect, um, you know, the microphone, and therefore nothing you say um, would be heard unless you push that button. Uh, but here there's an extra layer in that um, when a guest, guest, a guest enters a room, by default, uh, the staff will have uh, muted the devices and also uh, there's a little shutter for the camera, so the camera is um, unavailable for uh, these hotels. And actually, all functions that use the camera uh, will not will not work um, in hotels. So this is an extra layer uh, because we understand that, that uh, in a hotel, it's not exactly like when you're at home, and we built that in. In addition, um, it's I think important to understand that hotels don't really have access to a whole lot of information about what's happening in that room. Uh, they only get aggregated data in terms of what the user, what the devices um, are being used for. So they don't see uh, or can't access any of the um, utterances, the, the, the sentences, the phrases that people have said. They don't see that. We don't either. It's not stored in the cloud. And actually, everything is uh, deleted every day. And so there's really this, um, we, we took into consideration the uh, location of this device, um, the type of customers using it, and we've built that extra layer of privacy. Let's move over to the uh, the hotel side. Uh, you know, I can see the advantages uh, that uh, the guests uh, would would get out of this. Uh, for the hotel, what what is in, what's in it for them? I think we hear a few things. Uh, you know, first there is this idea of um, it's it's a challenging uh, labor market right now, and uh, some hotels are short staffed. Uh, these um, devices provide information, you know, that customers look for generally, like hours or how to get to a place. Or, you know, we were even talking about uh, making um, uh, different uh, requests to uh, the room service. And having the device um, handle uh, several of these requests helps them kind of save in terms of time spent uh, from their staff, so it just makes them more efficient. Um, there's also an opportunity for the hotel to um, kind of advertise or promote different things that is happening in the property, whether it's like a happy hour or a special offer at the spa. Like you know, this is another way for them to uh, put that information uh, or make that information available to customers, so they may, uh, in return, just you know, take advantage of these offers more, more frequently. And then, you know, there's definitely, uh, we're hoping uh, for customers some interest of having access to that uh, experience that they have had at home. You know, certain properties can uh, integrate smart home uh, in their rooms as well. And so uh, if you're used to doing that at home, then it's hard to live without. And if you know that you have the choice between two hotels and one has it and the other doesn't, we we hope that it will also um, be more favorable for the hotel. That, that's kind of the interesting thing. I, I have stayed in a hotel down in Las Vegas that I guess had taken the, the next step there and integrated like smart lighting and even the curtains that you could control with your voice. It was uh, it was pretty magical. Like it just made the whole experience, uh, uh, I guess, a lot more comfortable uh, uh, for me. And how much work does it take for the hotel to get this all installed? 
It's, uh, it's, you know, something that's a little bit variable because it depends on the level of integration. So you were talking about this hotel that has smart home uh, versus one that doesn't. Uh, you have hotels who may just offer basic information and not integrate with their kind of back of the house system. And so it, it's going to depend on that, uh, on that level of integration. It, I, I could see how it would save a lot of uh, time and, and, and man hours. Like people are constantly phoning the front desk for, for different things. Like you said, the hours, you know, when's the pool open? You know, how do I get a hold of the restaurant? So uh, if the Alexa or the Amazon Echo uh, device can actually solve that, uh, it kind of frees them up to uh, uh, spend their time helping the guests in, in other ways, definitely. Um, how was, how was the whole English-French thing? That was kind of an interesting thing for me for, uh, you know, choosing uh, this Quebec hotel. Um, you have to deal with two languages. Yeah, well, you know, Alexa in Canada is available to, to everyone in both uh, French and English. And so we're, we're really uh, excited to be able to offer that for uh, properties as well. Uh, in this case, what we've done is that we, um, we have, you know, French as kind of the, the default language since the property is based in Quebec. Um, you know, things that you would see on the screen are just like uh, displayed in that language, but the device actually supports uh, two languages at once, which again is, is the same um, type of, uh, same level of uh, functionality that is offered to uh, even a, a device that you would buy uh, today on Amazon.ca. And then it, therefore um, guests, whether they speak French or English are able to ask uh, questions. And we've also, you know, added some uh, guides in the room. So if people are unsure what to ask about, uh, the guides have both languages and you can kind of test that out. We are uh, talking with the Alexa Country Manager for Amazon Canada. Her name is Celine Lee about their new Alexa Smart Properties for Hospitality, getting one of these uh, little Echo shows in uh, your room. And I have to say, I really enjoyed it. I just loved being able to uh, ask it for the information without having to phone down. And I, I love that I could just get uh, the music playing anytime I, uh, I, I wanted. Uh, I guess you'll be rolling this out to other hotels in Canada as well? Yeah, this is really our first uh, our first property, and we're excited to continue to uh, grow and, and expand. Thanks for joining us, Celine. Thank you for having me, Mike. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. I've uh, got uh, my good friend Carmi Levy with me today. We're going to talk a little bit about keeping connected during uh, troubling times. Uh, a lot of... Uh, People are out of power and disconnected back east in Canada. Some major ice storms have uh, happened. We don't really get them as much out in uh, Western Canada here in, in Vancouver, but it is a challenging problem, especially for the folks in Quebec. Carmi, what's the situation right now? Uh, it's pretty significant. I mean, at one point uh, earlier today, but 1.2 million people in the region did not have power uh, at one point in Montreal, well over half of the population, according to Hydro-Quebec's website, uh, were out of power just north of Montreal and Laval, where I grew up. Over 60% of the population was uh, without power. So pretty significant. A lot of people are leaning very heavily on their mobile devices, on their smartphones, and they're realizing that while sometimes they can get the call through or they can use their app or download something or video chat or audio chat with someone, in many cases that isn't happening, uh, that service is intermittent or completely not available. Uh, and a lot of people are expressing some fairly significant surprise at that at a time when they've probably never needed their smartphones more. So pretty jarring experience for a lot of people and uh, for a lot of folks they're realizing just the limitations of this technology on which they rely so much. 
It is troubling. Uh, again, we in Vancouver, where you know this show is broadcast from, we don't experience you know literally days of power outages gone, and especially in a very cold uh, situation uh, as well. Uh, hence the word mm-hmm. ice storms. Right? It's cold. It's freezing. You don't have power. You probably don't have heat. Um, you know, here in Vancouver, you know we get the wind storms, and you know the power goes out for a few hours after some of the tree branches <laughs> knock out power lines. But um, what? What can people do to keep connected? You know, obviously, these ice storms affect the uh, the cell towers uh, as well, I imagine. They absolutely do. I think the problem here is that no one realizes that even though your phone itself is a battery-powered device, it connects to cell phone towers, terrestrial networks, uh, data centers, that that all and servers that all require power. And when they're not powered, uh, you're going to have a bad day. And so... You know, for example, if you're sitting in your house or in your office and normally you'd be able to see, you know, 12 or 14 towers uh, and your phone would just kind of pick the best one from them. Well, now maybe you might see half that or even fewer. Uh, and of course, everyone else is trying to to sort of hammer on those towers. So the network is compromised and the level of demand because it's an emergency situation is much higher. In some cases, the network is collapsing under the strain. We, we don't tend to pay attention to it because most days it's just invisible to us. But on days like this one, we sort of realize that, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty close to disaster and it really doesn't take much for us to lose all of that connectivity. It's a little frightening. It's going to keep me up at night for a while. And, and as far as home internet, if you don't got power, things like your, uh, your internet modem and your router aren't going to work uh, either. Uh, do you know, I don't know from a technical perspective, uh, you know, there's typically two types of internet that people have, you know, the cable uh, modems and uh, the DSL. Uh, do, do the DSL modems keep going if they can get power in them and you can power the modem? Uh, generally, uh, I mean, the understanding is because DSL is based on traditional copper telephone infrastructure. In theory, it should. In reality, I've had DSL during extended power outages, uh, and my modem was unavailable even if even when we did use a generator. So uh, your mileage may vary. Uh, a lot of it depends on the particulars of your local service provider, but don't count on having home internet. Uh, if there is a power outage and always ask yourself, what is my backup plan in case my Wi-Fi isn't available? Because uh, certainly your router won't be available and the network that it connects to might not be available. Um, and that's what's happening now is a lot of people who in their homes and in their offices who their devices would usually connect to Wi-Fi, they're being dumped onto the cell phone network because the local networks aren't available. That only makes a bad situation worse. Is there anything that people can do, though, really? Like, you know, the, the networks are overloaded. Some of the equipment might not even be up and, and running properly, the cell towers, because of power outages. Like, they're just kind of stuck, aren't they? they? They kind of are. I mean, there's nothing that you can do to fix the network or to, you know, bring your telecommunications company up. But what you can do is you can you can switch to services that aren't quite as bandwidth heavy. Uh, so, for example, instead of doing a FaceTime video uh, with someone, which is extremely heavy, uh, a heavy user of data, uh, switch to text messaging, which barely uses any data at all. So your FaceTime call may fail, but your text message will get through. So look at all the other things that you're using that are data hogs and switch to the lighter version of them. 
Uh, you know, take a look at how your phone is set up. If you've got apps that are running in the background that are sending data back and forth all the time, turn off uh, background data. And that what that does is it limits the amount of information that is flowing on, on and off your phone, and it limits the damage to the network as well. Um, and then, and 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 so, and to only the things that you absolutely need right now. Take a look at the radios that you're using. So if your Wi-Fi is down, then the Wi-Fi service on your phone, you can turn it off. That way the battery will last longer. Same thing with Bluetooth. If you're not using any Bluetooth devices, then just turn all of that stuff off. You don't need location services because you're not driving anywhere. You could turn GPS off too. It's not quite airplane mode because you still need the cell phone network, but it's close enough that it, your, your phone will, it'll burn less energy. Your battery will last longer, which during a time of a power outage, absolutely crucial. And I guess, uh, you know, most people will be relying on their portable devices, their their, their smartphones. Uh, it's always good to have those uh, little power banks, those USB power banks uh, charged and, and ready to keep that, that phone uh, mm-hmm. basically going through a, a situation like this. Yeah, I, I call it, uh, you know, I, I tell people have a charging plan. And, and the, the centerpiece of any charging plan is always having these cheap backup batteries just floating around the house, always make making sure they're plugged in somewhere, you know, kind of like those flashlights that you have for emergencies. Same thing with a backup battery. And then that way you just pop it in your bag and then wherever you go, or, you know, even in the house, your phone is always, you can always top up your phone regardless of, uh, you know, whether you've got external electricity or not. Um, Also look to external sources. If you don't have a battery, it's kind of late to get one now, uh, if you're affected by it. But uh, local libraries, parks, restaurants, public service facilities. A lot of them have facilities for charging or even just an outlet that you can plug your charging block into. So start looking around your neighborhood and start marking them down where they are that, you know, if I do have a power failure, where do I go to get power? And then, of course, there's always that last resort, your car. Cars are a great place to charge your your, your phone or whatever other device you've got. That's a good point. You know what I, I got uh, back a couple years ago? Um, I went electric with my um, like my lawnmower and my uh, weed whacker and, and stuff. I mm-hmm. went with the uh, the Ego uh, brand. And basically, they're these giant lithium batteries that power all the, the different things. They'll power like their, uh, mm-hmm. their snowblower and everything. They have like uh, a couple uh, little uh, things. They've got um, something called a, an Ego Power Nexus Escape. It's a, a little kind of... Uh, charging thing where you plug this giant battery into and then it's got like a you know 110 receptacle on it that you can plug in mm-hmm. things like uh, cell phones and and stuff and because it's like a giant 56 volt lithium ion battery you know it'll power your smartphone for weeks <laughs> essentially we, we are going to find now a lot of people are going to be looking for products like this every time that there is a major uh you know disaster meteorological event whatever it is uh folks go looking for backup solutions like this as well and you know as uh, as as this kind of technology becomes more affordable more widespread more standardized um that's just going to become part of our day-to-day kit and i cannot recommend them enough they're absolutely probably the of, of all the things you can spend your money on when it comes to tech uh you just really good battery backup solutions and like creative battery backups are probably the best dollar value uh proposition going in tech right now well it's funny when we did have a power outage i think last year i think it lasted for about six six hours so you know carmy the struggle was real uh, <laughs> um, I I use that uh, that Eagle Power uh, Nexus uh, Escape. I even got one of their their big Eagle Power Plus, where you can put four of these giant fifty six volt uh, batteries in. But anyway, mm-hmm. I had a little portable uh, projector, and um, I had some movies saved on a USB stick, so we were able to watch uh, movies uh, in my living room for the whole time. 
which was kind of a fun way to pass the time. You know, it's it, this is game-changing technology because it means that life doesn't stop just because there's a power outage. Uh, it means that, and so A, you can continue to work. You can also continue to just be a family. Uh, or you can uh, perhaps plug in your freezer and save all that meat that you just brought home from the Costco. So depending on whatever your use case is, it, it is such a game-changer. I think of events like this. I mean, my parents were, uh, my parents are also from Montreal, stuck in the, in the you know, the previous, the, the big one, the 1998 ice storm. And and how much they lost uh, that if they we, they had had a backup solution in place, the thousands of dollars in food and other things that they lost you know, wouldn't have been an issue. So a little bit of planning up front can have huge payoffs uh, over the long haul. And even if the power isn't out for extended periods of time, it does make day-to-day life a lot easier. We're going to have to take a break. we got Carmi Levy with us. When we come back, how would you like to pay for your bread with the palm of your hand? Uh, many retailers are going uh, biometric bypassing the need to swipe your cards. We'll be back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. Got Carmi Levy with me today. We're going to talk about payment technology and especially when it comes to biometrics. I think we've uh, all gotten used to uh, basically tapping our credit cards or debit cards. Uh, that, uh, that tech has really accelerated during the pandemic as we went completely touchless. Well, there's kind of a, another level to that. Uh, I've spoken about it before in the program. Amazon is developing this for their uh, Amazon Go stores uh, and also other retailers. Carmi, now other retailers are starting to buy into this. Panera uh, is Panera Bread is kind of a fast food kind of bakery uh, restaurant, more prevalent back east and down in the U.S. But uh, they're installing some of these palm scanners for their customers to basically pay with the palm of their hand. Yeah, and if you look at your palm, your palm is as unique to you as your fingerprint is. So it's kind of like another form of a fingerprint. And Amazon has a service called Amazon One, which is basically, it's a reader that reads your palm. And what they've been doing is they've been trying to sell it to different restaurants so that they would use it as a point of sale thing. And Panera has bought into it and they've they've started installing it. They're starting with a couple of uh, locations in St. Louis, but they're also gonna extend it to uh, some of their uh, outlets in Seattle near Amazon's headquarters, and then eventually to Canada. And basically what it, what it does is you, you you as a customer you sign up with Amazon One you have it have it have it scan your palm and then that's your authentication and so then anytime you show up at a store or a fast food restaurant or any kind of outlet that uses this form of payment technology instead of pulling out your your card or instead of pulling out your your phone or your smart watch and and beeping it that way you just show it your palm it's 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 just and it's, it's simple as that it's essentially using you as the physical password so incredibly convenient but on the flip side if amazon ever gets hacked my worry is and i've been saying this about biometrics for a while is it's not like a password that you can then change i can't change my palm print i can't change my fingerprint and so far amazon's been really good about security and they have not been breached but you know you and i have talked about this so many times in the past it's only a matter of time before every company is compromised in some way and i i, I before i sign up for it i really love panera bread uh, but it really you know before i sign up for it i want absolute confirmation that hey if something bad does happen how am I being protected? That's the thing that scares me the most. And I don't love their bread that much to just plow <laughs> ahead without, without getting that assurance. I don't know, Carmi. Like, I, I've tried the technology. Uh, and, and I think, 
it's amazing. It's a huge convenience thing. You know, obviously you got to sign up and give away your your life's information and you know tie it to your credit card or your debit uh, banking card. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's so convenient, just kind of getting all your stuff uh, and then just swiping your hand over. You don't even touch anything. It just kind of scans the, the palm of your hand. But if, if they were hacked, like what what can they even do with that? Okay, so. There's some information like my fingerprint somewhere and some ones and zeros. Are they going to be able to recreate my finger? Potentially, yes. I mean, you, you look at the the next generation of artificial intelligence, GPT-4, which moves beyond text and can now handle videos and, and uh, still imagery. Uh, and if you could describe an image using artificial intelligence, well, I, someone could describe an image that incorporates my unique hand scan as well. And so we haven't seen exploits like this out in the, in, in the real world, but the, the reality is the potential is there uh, and the tools are getting better and better by the day. And certainly, uh, you know, we're all wowed by AI and the potential for it to allow us to do cool things and make life more convenient. Uh, but at the same time, anytime there's a new technology like this, you just know uh, that cyber criminals are also looking over the horizon thinking, how can we use this for our you know, malevolent purposes as well? Uh, so bit of a bit of a back and forth cops and robbers kind of thing that will never end. And anytime I see a, a giant company like Amazon um, sort of selling this biometric technology, uh, that's when my my antenna go up. And I think we need better assurances. And we also need governments to to look at technologies like this and go, how do we prevent a meltdown at a consumer level? How do we ensure that consumer rights are protected? Carmi, both of you and I know that. Uh, the governments are always like 10 steps behind when it comes to like this, this breaking uh, tech technology. But, you know, I, I love it. I love the idea. Do you think the palm is going to be the way to go for this future payment technology? Because, you know, they keep saying that biometrics is the way to go from a security perspective. Uh, you know, hopefully that is true to, you know, your point. You're not completely convinced yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the touchless aspects, you know, are we going to see other types of biometrics, uh, you know, like scanning your iris and, and things like that? And I think we will. Yeah. yeah. And will that leave out certain people? Like, what if I don't have hands? Or, you know, if they go to iris scanning and, I, I don't know, I'm blind and it doesn't work. I, do you know what I mean? Like, how do they yeah. interact? Yeah. Well, I think that's that's where, you know, the sort of having multiple payment options in one venue is is really the way to go. In other words, I, I, I'm pretty cool if they have you know a palm uh, reader as an option when I go to pick up my bread or my you know my dinner for my family. But if that's the only way and and that doesn't work for me because I may not have hands or may I may have had surgery that has messed up my palm print, for example, then I guess I guess I'm not having dinner that night. So you know, if, if you if, if you're a Panera Bread, you've got to think about what are all the other ways that people need to need to pay, and how am I addressing the diverse needs of my diverse client base uh, to ensure that everyone has the way of paying in the way that's most convenient for them. Um, and so, you know, so no one technology works for everyone else. Not everyone's going to be wearing a smartwatch. Not everyone has a proper fingerprints. Not everyone wants to touch the fingerprint scanner. That's one of the things I love about Palm is that you can do it at a slight distance and not actually touch the device. So I think if there's if there's an array of ways of payment, an array of technologies, then I think we've solved that problem. And of course, they'll continue to evolve and advance and we'll still see new versions of it. Um, but, you know, it, fit all and if you're a Panera bread if you're an Amazon I think you got to recognize that uh, and make sure that you've always got a plan B a plan C a plan D for someone who shows up and you know maybe the palm print thing doesn't work for them 
What, what about privacy? You know, as we get more into this biometrics and it's kind of just tied to our overall identity, um, should, you know, from a big brother perspective, should we be concerned about this? Sure, because, you know, once upon a time, not so long ago, I could walk into a Panera Bread, pull out some cash, pay for my dinner and walk out. And, you know, they didn't know me and I didn't know them. And I was perfectly happy about that, because if anything ever happened to Panera Bread, I was protected. And now we've moved into an era where literally we buy a stick of gum and we're using electronic payment methods that create a digital trail uh, of who we are, where we've been, what we've bought. Uh, and that certainly does expose us to new forms of risk around data privacy and stewardship that simply didn't exist a few years ago. So I think we need to ask ourselves the question of, uh, of you know, what are we doing to make sure that those digital trails remain secure? And what are the vendors that we deal with, the companies, the the restaurants, the the shops and all that? What are they doing to make sure that that they're they're protecting us as best as possible so that they're minimizing the potential for them to be targeted? They're encrypting the data so that in case there is a breach, that all they get is gibberish. Like, what are all these things? And I think these are the questions that we need to ask when we decide to do business with someone. Uh, and, and I'm looking at, you know, what are they using for payment? These are the questions that we need to be asking. It isn't just about getting in, getting our meal and getting out. We really should be looking at the infrastructure, going to their website, reading what they have to say about data security. And there are frankly some companies in this country that I will not do business with because they've let they've let their stakeholders down when it comes to security. They've been breached. They haven't learned the lesson from that. And I think it makes sense to stay away from them. But increasingly, we're, we as consumers have to lead with that. Uh, because otherwise, we may find ourselves doing business with companies that don't take security as seriously as they probably should. It's hard to be anonymous now, Carmi. Like, I, and I'm just going to use it. I'm just use. I'm going to use a stupid example. Just even Christmas shopping or birthday gift shopping. You know, for my my wife, like she sees all the transactions happening in the bank accounts. And then if I'm doing Amazon shopping, you know, God help me. Uh, you know, anytime anyone goes back to that browser and they want to use Amazon, like my kids or my, my wife, all the things that I've been looking at start coming up. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, so, yeah, exactly. And and messages that flow into one device pop up on every other oh, device that you're signed into. So I, and I think we need to change the way we behave. First of all, the, the concept of, uh, of you know, having a secret second family in another city. I don't know how anyone pulls that out <laughs> in 2023. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would have counseled against it years ago. I counsel especially against it now. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that's just a reminder to us that we just have to be really careful to look behind us and look at the things that we do digitally and say, am I, am I exposing myself too much? And if I am, what am I going to do to resolve that? As long as you're asking the questions and having the conversation with yourself, that's a good thing. We're never going to completely turn it off. We, we just can't live that way. We can't go back to that digital, you know, free cave, so to speak. Uh, but we can certainly pay a little bit more attention to it so that we're a little bit more comfortable with that level of exposure that we have. Carmi, I want to thank you for joining us today. That's all the time we have left for Get Connected. Don't forget to tune into the app show tomorrow, every Sunday here on the Chorus Radio Network. Mike Agarbo signing off. We'll see you again next time.